Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, MrDiceGuy.com, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm. I'm Ryan. I'm Ian. And on today's episode, we have a guest, uh, Emma Larkins, on during our uh, our little topics of interest part, but we also have reviews. And <laughs> Ryan, what are you going to do? I will be talking about Cosmic Encounter Duel. Ta-ta-ta. <laughs> I keep wanting to hold off. <laughs> Cha-cha-cha. We got to keep the cha-cha-cha. Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They are the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories, amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. Welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture, and we are going straight into uh, playing, thinking, doing all about the board games. Um, who wants to lead off? I, I'm, 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 you know what? I'm going to take point. I'm going to start us off with this one. Yeah, sure. Why not? I, could, I did my homework. I got my notes done. So um, uh, now we're still unable to meet as a group or, you know, a gathering of, of carbon-based life forms in the same proximity. So I've had to play a lot of um, uh, online games, as probably both of you guys have too. Um, on Board Game Arena? Expedition Northwest Passage. I've had the pleasure of playing that a ton. So designed by Yves Tournier, published by Matigo Games. Uh, this is a one to four player game. Takes around 60 minutes on the box if you're going to play it face to face. But uh, I've been playing a asynchronous game that's taken me about three weeks. <laughs> but um, uh, this game basically, uh, 1845 Franklin Expedition on behalf of the British Royal Navy sets out to find um, the Northwest Passage in Canada's Arctic. And as history says, they uh, never did find it. They, the ship was lost, disappeared. So in this game, Expedition Northwest Passage, um, players race across Canada's Arctic through the Northwest Passage from Greenland to the shores of the Yukon and back to Greenland again. Um, so while you're racing, you're also going to be in search of expedition artifacts and other, there's other of these um, sites and wrecks and, uh, and um, uh, identifiers that contribute to a set collection and, and the game uh, point system thing. So, but at the core of this game, which I'm fired up about always, it's a race game. And, uh, but as I said here, it's, it's a race game wrapped around a tile drafting and tile laying engine. So, so yeah, it's a race game, but there is no map in front of you because you're, it's a, it's a exploration part too. Um, it's driven by what they say is action point system, but it's disguised as a worker placement because you have your little board on the top parts of the ship on the bottom part is a dog sled team because 
that's how your race happens because uh, the, the cool thing about this game is that um, it, it's, it's the timer, right? So the docks is important because there's a timer. It's a sun disc that goes around the board and as it's going, because it's a grid system, and as this disc goes around the board, the ice cap line either recedes or increases and could catch your ship and freeze it into place, which means that you are now only dog sled dependent to get to the Yukon shores to basically I mean, when you get to the Yukon Shores, there's first place gets a you know, large chunk of points. Second place gets another chunk of points. So that's the division of points. So it's, there's an objective to get to the, to the Yukon Shores. And then the same thing back, that first place gets a good chunk. But that set collection comes back. Um, so uh, that's what I've been playing. It's such a fun thing. I don't want to get – I think I want to review it later on. But um, so that's Expedition Northwest Passage, Passage by Yves Tournier and published by Madigo, which I'm a big fan of because they're the ones that do Kemet. Yeah, I got this pulled up on BGG here. It has a pretty neat little table presence of the uh, of all these like rectangular tiles, it looks like. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're placing these tiles out on the board to kind of create the your map, the, the, the map, I guess. So yeah. the map will be the map will be kind of different. And if you complete, if you're able to complete an island, that's one of those end of game bonus points of, uh, of explore circumnavigating an island and being a cartographer and getting some points for it. So that's the cool part. And of course, like uh, very much like Takedo, if you have one of each, then, you know, if you have, if you have uh, a one unique one, you get a point. If you have a unique one and another one, you get three points. And that whole incremental, the, if you get the five unique ones as a set, you get these huge bonus points at the end. So, yeah, yeah, I, I really dig that. You guys should uh, have a peek. I actually have played it. I played it on BGA. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing at all. Mm -hmm. Not a clue. <laughs> And it's my friend Matt was getting a little snippy with me because I just kind of expected to know how to do it and I didn't read the rules. And so he kept getting mad at me. He's like, read the rules. I was just, all I want to know is how to do this. RTSM, and, man. <laughs> so I refused to read the rules and I thought I could just figure it out by doing stuff. But it wasn't that intuitive as I thought it was going to be. I'd be really interested to play it in real life and see, see mm -hmm. what the actual board game is like. Cause I think the theme is awesome. I love the theme. Great. Theme. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you're also talking to Norm, it, it kind of was giving me vibes of uh, a a little bit. You know what? I mean, as far as the, the creating the islands and creating the yeah. map, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You are, you are a participant in either making it a really easy navigable thing from one point to the other and back or mm -hmm. i'm playing a, a game now where th where the other guys are just bound and determined to just put island walls and it's like you you know you're gonna cut us off we can't you're gonna you're gonna plug us up so much with the map that we can't get to the yukon shores and back so so yeah and, and the timer goes man it's like every time you run out of turns boom that sundial makes a move and it moves that ice that ice line and it's like you could be looking at oh man my ship's gonna get frozen in way before i want to and then yeah you can either split up your crew or yeah, yeah this there's so much cool things about this game neat cool. yeah i gotta play this you've invited me to a couple games and i've 
yet to pull the trigger because I don't. I'm kind of like Ian. Well, I don't know. I don't know the rules yet. Well, you know what? We'll we'll uh, organize ourselves. We'll do a uh, we'll do a Zoom play, and uh, and then we can just I can talk you through it and go. All right, you. This is what you want to do. This, this, or this, and and get you. Uh, you know what? Once you get through one round, you'll go. Oh yeah. Okay, I got this. It's it's you know these three games mashed together. That ice melting thing is pretty cool too the way that the board opens up or closes depending on where oh the sun God. is the freeze in that, man yeah that actually reminds me of a game i i have called antarctica which i think i'm the only one who's ever played it ryan told me about that no i i play i played it with you yeah, yeah i quite i think it's quite underrated i like it quite a bit but the your boats are where you, you use your boats to move actions but they're frozen in the ice until the sun gets to your section and so figuring out where to put your boat so that it'll melt soon is a pretty neat strategy. So I like, I like Well, that you idea. know what? I think my, uh, I think my pitch has convinced you guys that we need to do a play and then you guys can definitely get latched into this one. Cool. Okay. You, t- you teach us this and I'll teach you Zulkin. Deal. <laughs> I'm a sucker for a gimmick, man. I love, I love the cog idea. Who, who wants to go next? Sure. I, I can, I can go here. All right. Um, so, so Jen and I, we've been kind of playing through the uh, the tiny epic games so far. Uh, and so, if if you don't know what the tiny epic games are, these are it's a series of games um, designed by Scott Alms and published by Gameland Games. And uh, there's a whole bunch of them that are out there right now. And each game is uh, designed. Um, they're all designed with a solo mode, and they all play with like up to like four or five players each. And each game um, plays very, very quickly. And that's kind of like why we've been playing them. They've, they've been playing within like, they can play within like 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many players um, that you actually have. And so uh, quick games as of late, these are getting played more often because our kids are going to bed later and later and we're getting tireder <laughs> and tireder. <laughs> so if we can get a, if we can get a game in that 30 to 60 minute range where we're doing pretty good. And uh, the idea of these tiny Epic games is, what what they're trying to what their selling point is that they're trying to bring a big game, like a some would say maybe epic game, but uh, packaging it into a a really small box, and uh, so so far there are uh, there's a whole bunch of them. There's a tiny epic kingdoms, defenders, galaxies, western quest, zombies, mechs, <laughs> tactics, not yet released, but I have backed on Kickstarter, dinosaurs and pirates. <laughs> And uh, we own all of them except for Defenders and Western. And so the ones that we've played and the ones that we actually um, really, really enjoy is um, I really enjoy like Tiny Epic Galaxies because at its core, it's a, it's a, it's a dice action selection type of game. So kind of think, oh, kind of think Castles of Burgundy. Yeah. Where uh, when you roll the dice and then you have to take actions with certain dice and yeah there, there's a whole bunch of different things you're trying to settle planets get some points from those planets those planets will give you abilities it's a really it's a really 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 neat game it's a race to 21 points um that one's been a by far our favorite because we can knock out a couple games in that 60 minute in that 60 minute range cool. another one that we really started to enjoy is tiny epic mechs yeah, I have like this a little, one. A, a little uh, arena combat game yeah. where your meeples sit inside these little plastic mechs, and in, and you're having a battle inside this little arena, and um, 
how you take your actions is that it's an action programming game. You have to program what your mech is going to do. Um, is it going to move, move, then shoot, turn, um, go here, turn, move. It, it, and then there's a whole bunch of crazy things that you can like, people can mess up your, mess up your program. That, that one I think is kind of like our, is kind of like our second favorite right now. It's been really, really fun. The toy and factor then, on that one's pretty cool. Yeah, the, the components <laughs> of that one is, is, like, is, is, is like really, really, really top notch. And uh, I didn't put it in the show notes, but if I would say a third one would be kind of Tiny Epic Quest. And I, I, I always like to joke that it's like, it's Tiny Epic Legend of Zelda. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, you just kind of go around the board, kind of doing what you want. You can, you can beat up monsters to get up points. You can complete quests to get points. You can um, kind of do like a pick up and deliver thing to get points, to upgrade your spell book to get you can do a whole bunch of different things and you're just trying to do things as best as possible to get as many points uh, from, from your phone. And all you're doing is, is that the, the layout is all these cards that make up this big old, big old map and you're just traveling across the board. And like it says, tiny epic quest, you're completing quests or you're defeating monsters or you're raiding temples or uh, along those lines and the the amount of gameplay that you get inside these small boxes is really really quite extraordinary um scott alms is, is on to like a really big thing here because um they don't take up a lot of shelf space and you do get kind of like a big board game feeling but out of just like a like usually just like a deck of cards and some little little bits and components so um tiny epic games we've been playing through them i want to play through them all uh, just the ones that we have. Um, yeah. What, have you guys had any experiences with tiny epics? I have, I own a few. Uh, I'm looking right now. I have, uh, uh, defenders. I have a mechs. I have zombies. Um, I had, uh, what was it? Kingdoms, uh, got rid of it cause I, I, I di it didn't really, you know, scratch that itch, but then I understand it has a new edition and I, I, I believe it was, uh, uh, again, he's at fault so much for this Rado says that, uh, it's way better than the first one. And if you, you should give it a shot, you know, that whole pitch to it. But, um, yeah, I really enjoy our, galaxies. Yeah. And and that, and zombies is our, is our next play. We're going to be playing that. Cause that one's kind of interesting. Cause that one, the first one that has, Oh, it has like four or five different modes of playing. Like you yeah. can play completely cooperative yeah or yeah. you can play competitive against the zombies or you can play one player plays the zombies and one yeah. player plays the, the the survivors yeah or solo mode yeah yeah so it, it, it i quite enjoy it i quite uh, enjoy that, 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 one, that one's kind of interesting to me just because it has all the different modes of play but the yeah, um tiny epic tiny the, epics scott elms cool ian oh yeah, yeah i've actually played a board game so <laughs> I know we all we all kind of like left for joy at one point. I'm gonna have like a little kind of cheering background sound effect go yeah. off. I uh, played Lahav, which love that game. It is a oh, it's a great game. So Lahav is Uwe Rosenberg, right? It's it was kind of his big one right after Agricola, and and it doesn't use polyomino tiles. No, <laughs> not like his reason so, no. Well, Hav, you're basically getting goods and making them better and collecting more. 
that's what you're doing. But you're you're building these buildings right out of the cards, and that's that's where the key is. First time, first couple times I've played this game, I could not figure it out. Like I couldn't figure out even what the objective of the game was because I'm like, why do I care about having fish, or why do I care about getting steel? Like I couldn't see the connections there. Finally, I figured it out, and I'm like, oh. Your only goal is just to make as much money as you possibly can. But depending on the buildings you get, you can use these goods to, to accumulate that money. And then there's the whole feeding aspect, right? So you've got to feed all your workers. And so that's where making food is really good. And so if you can narrow down what buildings you want, you can really, really get some good engines built up and, and get rolling. So like this one, for example, I, I got cows like crazy. Cows, 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 cows. Get the slaughterhouse or whatever it's called. Cook, make them into meat and you can be able to feed your family for days. And oh, it's good stuff. I love the hobby. You guys, you have, a, you have all played it, right? Oh, that's yeah. uh, in my top, uh, I think my top five games. Oh, all yeah. Time. Oh, yeah. Awesome. I, I love that one. And it wouldn't be a Rosenberg if uh, you didn't have to feed somebody. Yeah. <laughs> that's right yeah. and i yeah. thought i had it like i i was doing so good i was getting all these engines going and i'm i'm playing against my wife and i'm like i'm just gonna crush her i'm going to absolutely crush her and i felt kind of bad about that end of the game out of the score she was like 54 points and i i know it, it's the stealthiest yeah How it's the stealthiest accumulation of victory points yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, of, or the one I hate the most is, how did you get to steal ships so fast? <laughs> well, yeah. what, 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 what do you have something in your backyard that I'm not aware of? Yeah. And, no, and I love course, that game. And of yeah. course, you played you played the long game, right? The full game. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Because yeah. this is the one that it there. There's two different modes of play, right? There's like there's the short game and there's mm -hmm. the long game. Yeah, you can cut it down. Yeah, I I don't know why that I I always say well. Just go for the long game. Yeah, sure. It probably is going to take a bit, a bit, quite a bit longer. Well, you got to get the full experience. Yeah, That's right, yeah. But if you're if you're a full player count, which you should never play this game at, um, <laughs> which then, is I think we we did the first time. Oh, <laughs> we played it. Yeah, and we did the long too. And like, we did the long game. I think it was like a six hour game. It felt like, but it was awesome. Don't get me well, don't get me wrong. Because because none, none of us knew what we were doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was an AP. It was more like. I, I, I don't, does someone have a script I can follow? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I've gotten a little bit, be little bit better since then. Yeah, I'm excited to keep playing it more and kind of explore it more and figure it out. I've so, got the, I own the Scott Alms, what they should have called Tiny Epic Lahav, but it's called Harbor. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's interesting. Kinda, it's, 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 it's got the Lahav feeling but in like a, it's just like a small box of of cards where it's still like worker placement it's a very condensed abstraction of a lot of that oh very very flipping like, stuff yeah yeah it's just like what we say it's worker placement resource gathering convert those resources into money or points and yeah yeah Ian, you would like you would like and it's one of yeah you'd like harbor and it's like you said uh, a version of the tiny epic kind of concept yeah they just cool. didn't, he didn't call it tiny epic <laughs> this episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on 8th Street in Saskatoon. 
swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis the Eighth Mall, on Eastern Saskatoon. Welcome back to Cardboard Conjecture. We are going to proceed to, in this section, we're going to do some news, some topics of interest, but let's start off with some some news. And uh, Ryan usually do the little... There you go. Well, lead us into this, man. You got you guys got some juicy stuff to talk about. Well, I think we just got a couple, like, um, uh, or a few game announcements that have just kind of come down the pipeline just within the past week or so. So like one of the big ones, because you know, I'm everything all in about Stonemeyer games and what they're doing. So he just renounced their 2020 release, which is kind of unique. He says we only produce or come out with one or two games um, a year. And this year it's only going to be one with, of, of course we don't kind of know why is there's only going to be one release this year, but uh, uh, he released that it's going to be called pendulum. And of course, the code name for Pendulum all throughout the Stonemeyer process was there was codename Sand, and that's because Pendulum is going to be using it's they're advertising it as a real-time uh, worker placement game, and the why it was codenamed Sand is because you're, you're going to be using sand timers to as I think now I, I haven't heard exactly if they're going to be using the sand timers as the actual workers or if the sand timers are gonna be kind of like timing aspects of the game, but they do note that the time, real time, is a valuable resource in the game. So um, I'm very very interested, I've been kind of following the design diary a little bit, but they've only just kind of released that this was like one of, it's the top rated, top rated game at the Stonemeyer Games uh, design day, like he always has a mm-hmm. design day every year. Yeah, and so far this one has been the the top rated game of out of all of his design days. Ooh, so far. So, so it's got a good hot release, news release. Then. Yeah, and so some some Twitter folks have been commenting to me about that they've played that they've played like the prototype or a version of the prototype, and that the prototype was super super good. Cool. And so they're really excited. This this might be. So I don't know if this, I hope I hope this is not another tapestry where <laughs> that the hype. Like we, we we hype up this game and then it kind of falls flat. But I was going to bring us to the tapestry topic, but hey. but as of what I've heard right now, and what I've seen, it looks like it could be it, it could be it's, it's definitely interesting enough. Cool. It's kind of and if this sand time if this sand timer mechanism catches on we may finally get that days of our lives board game that we've all wanted <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Oh, i like oh i like it i thought nice you're gonna one. go with like we were doing sand timers again we're gonna have to get the dice popper going back or the automatic <laughs> oh now i got like some soaps running in the background of my head now awesome <laughs> yeah so stonemeyer games i think he's planning to do pre-orders in august yeah, it says pre-orders, pre-orders are going to be opening up in August. He's going to crash his server. Well, that's what happened with Tapestry. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's, I mean, that's a good problem to have, right? Yeah. Cool. Cool. Uh, Ian? Ian had one. 
You do have a news item. I just saw it today. You so this texted is breaking, us this. breaking news. It looks like we have pandemic like legacy season three. Oh, but is it? Actually, we have pandemic legacy season zero. What? So that means we're phantom menacing this baby up. It's a prequel. <laughs> we're going prequel style. We're prequel. going a hot tub time machine, aren't we? Looks like it. And that's all we know. Like it we got the cover and it looks like well what's Ryan what's your what was the theory that you uh uh texted you mean you mean my crackpot theory I said what if what if this whole season 0 thing is we have to go back in time to stop the events of season 1 and then you change you alter time and now you have to play, replay season 1 again but with like the new recharge recharge pack or something <laughs> like that was cuz we've changed the events You've just, just monetized, ideas. you've just given them such a monetization structure that they're frothing yes. right now. Yes, because I believe those guys, Matt Leacock and the, the pandemic team need my ideas. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not smart enough to think about this on their own. Cool. You don't know uh, when I've, it's coming out yet. No, uh, it's kind and of I know you, just a YouTube video, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, did you guys play together on season one? And, and two. two. And two, okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. The team's coming back. The yeah, only, it'll uh, only take us three years this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only pandemic that I've played is uh, Rising Tides. That's that's the one that uh, you, appeals to me. I've played the played? base game okay. a couple times and then went, eh, I, 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 you know, the whole idea, considering the context of what was going on for me at the time, I, I wasn't a big fan of like uh, viral outbreaks or diseases kind of thing. So that's why the when the the, the thematic concept of rising tides came out i mean i love that that pandemic engine as far as like the cooperative engine with that card system and it's like okay now we know what hot spots we have to focus on and that whole concept worked so well in rising tides with the idea of you know water right yeah so, you, you would really like fall of rome pandemic fall of rome i've been trying to find a copy well, or flashpoint maybe you might like flashpoint that'd be cool yeah. yeah, so season zero. I'm excited. We could, uh, we, me too. We could have like a pandemic um, uh, episode and just, you know, just uh, review know, and talk about the pandemic take, stuff. Take a, take, take a, take a, each take a pandemic and really, oh, okay. You know, it could be like a dark comedy episode during a pandemic. We're talking about pandemic games. <laughs> Absolutely. Black Adder. <laughs> um, uh, what else? Uh, what else is hitting the, the the news ticker tape there, gentlemen? Uh, I've only got one more, just because I've been intrigued by this, and then I had no idea that Ian actually owned the original. So now I have to hit him up and play this one before this one comes out. But we have Reiner Kinizia's Lord of the Rings Anniversary Edition being announced by Fantasy Flight Games. So yeah, it looks like uh, they're they're bringing back the old Lord of the Rings game that I know absolutely nothing about. Ian, we, gotta, we have not played this. You got to talk to. I have not played this one. I, oh, I have okay. no idea what this game's about. I don't even know if it's cards, dice, all minis, it says here is tiles. It's, it's classic cooperative. Yeah, it's a co-op. It's um. They don't know my family. <laughs> it's. I don't even know how to describe it. You're just kind of moving, you're moving your hobbits through the, there's actually three different boards. You got to get to the end of each of these boards 
it's a it's a lot of card play. Okay. You've got to save up the right cards so you can move to the right spaces. What's the um, what's the board? Is it a grid? Is it a map? Is it just like, spots? Really. I, I have spots. no visual like reference points at all. At all. Okay, cool. Oh yeah, so it looks like here um, that Fantasy Flight looks like the old version had some like standees and some cardboard mm. things. Well, I'm just no, kind I don't of have standees. Well, kind of, I'm just going by what their picture looks like. It kind of look like it, they kind of look like standees, but they're replacing everything with like plastic miniatures or resin miniatures, and upgrade looks like some upgraded dice and some plastic. Looks like they're just going to give it the minis treatment. I they already are. Oh, I guess there's some. There must be. There must have been a middle release between yeah. mine and the new one because yeah, I have I have Hobbit minis, and I've got oh cool like a big Sauron. Okay tower barador tower oh man so figure. so i think we've had some time we have must have like a time space-time continuum jump here and everything, because it <laughs> sounds like this is fantasy flight games notes that the gameplay of this new edition hasn't been altered but the punch board components have all been replaced by plastic miniatures mm. so. we're so intuitive man so anyways, we're, doing, we're, we're, rocking, we're rocking the news about this item because none of us can actually talk about it. Yeah, well, no, so, I, know, uh, I know I've got like the old, old one. They came out with like a... They is it a good game though? Yeah, it is a good game. Okay. It's, yeah. not, in, it's not incredible. How do you win? You gotta throw the ring in the fire. <laughs> <laughs> I like the, the subtext of that answer was, well, didn't you, didn't you watch the freaking movie? <laughs> whoa, 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 spoiler alerts. Yeah. <laughs> what? What? Oh, man. That's awesome. I, I got to stop reading the book. So it looks like this is upgraded from the middle version, from the second version that they came out with. Because I know they came out with a version where they shrunk the box down a little bit and, and did that, all that kind of stuff. And I think they made the components cheaper for that one. So I think this is almost like going back to the older version. Okay. Yes. So there's no reason for me to get this new version whatsoever it everything. but the box says anniversary edition okay fantasy flight games doesn't mention whether any of the expansions will return to print dun 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 oh FOMO just kicking in for people that one person who's listening well if you're to gonna us. do an anniversary edition just get with a big box and throw everything at it oh wait here we go with the big box <laughs> yeah. no 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 this episode is proudly supported by the amazing team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge right here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escape's escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team, ensuring their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun than play games. Welcome back to Cardboard Conjecture. We are now into one of my favorite segments, the interview segment, because um, uh, it's so much fun to have new people to talk to, especially during this pandemic where um, uh, I think my wife's heard every joke I have about a thousand times and... Uh, and now the cat's even ignoring me. So yeah, I get to talk to other human beings. 
Um, uh, Ryan have heard the same jokes too. So (laughs) yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. So basically uh, the eye rolling is kept to a minimum and, um, uh, but this time, uh, I'm, we're so fortunate to have on the, uh, on the episode, Emma Larkins, designer, content creator. Emma, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Also, I love jokes, and I, uh, I, I laugh very easily. So if you say something funny, <laughs> you'll probably get a laugh out of me. See, but that's, the, funny is interpretable, right? Fair, fair. <laughs> um, so, uh like I said, I've uh, I've got an interesting format because when I we're both all three of us are school teachers, so we like to do our research. We like our context. We like to know the purpose. Uh, a lot of the times, uh, as, at least our students do. Hey, Ian, why are we doing this? <laughs> oh yeah, especially with math. <laughs> when am I ever going to use this? Um, but uh, so in this case, Emma, uh, I'm uh, we're going to start with the backstory because I'm a true believer of. Uh, of what's happening now is because of stuff that's happened before. So if that's metaphysical and bizarre. So according to the ball cap that I'm wearing that nobody can see, you went to Stanford University where you studied production or product design. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you have done your research. Um, uh, And then from there, you went on to uh, uh, a marketing department for an indie video game company. I'm going to want to ask you some about that. Uh, then I, uh, I, I see that you were an events organizer for a pool hall in New York City, which is one of my favorite places to visit and never want to live in. Yeah. Uh, you are a weekly board game. You have a weekly board game news show on Twitch presented by Gen Con that I had the, uh, I kind of popped in as much as I could to, you know, get a taste of what was going on. Um, you... Uh, my interpreted this way, you're a contractor for workshopping games and you have a playcrafting kind of initiative going on. Uh, yeah, the playcrafting was a while back when I was in New York City. So I yeah. was doing community management for um, mostly video game community for designers and developers. Okay, so let's pop back to Stanford, product design. What, uh, what uh, entails... Like, is that the seeds? Are you basically doing, are you fortunate enough to actually have a career in what you went to university for? (laughs) Well, it's really funny, you know, (laughs) basically what you see what happened was uh, I went to college uh, on, came back to the West Coast. I was born in California, went back to school in California. My parents were very far away, but they still had a little grasp on me and said, look, you need to study something that you're going to get a job in. So I don't know how much you know about Stanford, but there's fuzzies and techies. Uh, so they told me I had to do something techie. So of course, I picked the absolute fuzziest techie fields that I could get into. Uh, and product design back when I was going to Stanford, which is quite a while ago now, uh, was this really fascinating combination of, we did a lot of mechanical engineering. We did a lot of hands-on workshops. So, um, oh, cool. got to use a lot of the machine machining tools with the mills and the lathes and things. Oh, nice. Um, and we did photography classes, art classes, and then some user testing, uh, user needs, re- psycho- psychological research. So it was this very fascinating mashup degree of all these different things. Um, but again, I hadn't picked it because I was going into some grand career. I basically wanted something. I didn't know what I wanted to be. So I wanted a degree that would just let me do a little bit of everything. Uh, and product design was really great for it. So it's 
And then I went on this crazy winding path for, uh, for about 15 years. And it's really kind of ironic that I finally ended up back in a design related field. Um, let's talk about the video game company. Yeah. How'd you fall so, into that? <laughs> I was doing, I did video game marketing for a company called Dreamsale Games that unfortunately does not exist anymore, as is the case with many small indie video game studios. Um, yeah, so I, I've, in my career, I've kind of gone back and forth between creating my own thing and then going and working for a company. So, you know, making my own progress in the world and then going back and doing some more learning and yeah. kind of I see it as education of a sort, right? Getting a job. Kind of scaffolding your experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this one, I forget if someone connected it to me or I might have even just seen the posting. Uh, it was a very small company, about 12 or 13 people there. And I had so social media and different marketing type backgrounds. So I reached out, had an interview and before I knew it was head of marketing for this company. And oh, cool. yeah, it was, it was a really great experience because I think the product design is good representation of this, but I've always had a very good product sense and I love the creative aspect, but it's always been very important for me for people to experience what I'm creating and mm -hmm. productization is how you get a creative idea into the hands of consumers, right? Mm -hmm. Through this product, uh, through this process of turning it into something that's consumable. Um, and marketing is really great for that because marketing is really how you kind of sketch out. It happens at the same time as making the product and marketing. The product, oh, yeah. Right? the marketing defines the product and the product defines the marketing. So you kind of go back and forth and really get a sense of not only how a product is formed, but how you spread the message um, and get it to the people who need or want it most. Yeah. Yeah. Like what a, to marketing in New York city, you, you've got the widest like swath of anything that you want to market to. So that yeah. must've honed your skills a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It was, New York was kind of a huge turning point for me in my life and in my career. Up until then, I'd lived a very mostly rural, ex uh, a rural lifestyle. Mm -hmm. uh, I was born in California, lived in the suburbs, but then my family moved to Maine. So we lived in the backwoods of Maine. We lived in rural parts of Maryland. I lived in Virginia for a while. So I'd never and had really- geography. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, beautiful, beautiful landscapes, but I never had a city living experience. So to go from all of that to, I was on Long Island for a couple of months and I'm like, I'm just going to move to New York city. And my parents thought I was insane. They're like, <laughs> you're going to die. <laughs> uh, but I didn't, I found a sublet with strangers in Brooklyn and, um, I've very much flown by the seat of my pants for my, a lot of my life. So I'm like, sure, I'll move to Brooklyn. And the funniest thing was like, it almost instantly felt so natural. After a week, I was like, this just feels so normal and comfortable. And just to be surrounded by so many people and creative people and to have like any day of a week, there was thousands of things happening around the city. You walk out on the street and there's someone in a bikini on a tricycle carrying balloons. And then there's a <laughs> festival the next street over. It's just such a uh such a trip spider-man's handing out big mac uh, coupons yeah. yes exactly right. uh just like a explosion of um data and information and experience gen con i've got like later on i'll have a question connected to um your participation in your weekly twitch with gen con but do you want to mm -hmm. 
talk about that a little bit? Because it'll, it'll come back uh, in, in about 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I started working, I started doing the streaming with Twitch, uh, with Gen Con on Twitch uh, about a year ago. Uh, and a lot of the stuff I've come to, especially as I've gotten more into the board gaming industry, it's all connections based. Mm -hmm. So I worked at Mox Boarding House, which is an amazing board game store located here in Seattle, now in Portland. They just opened their Portland store, which is very <laughs> exciting. Uh, but I worked at the one here in Seattle and got to know some people in the industry. And a lot of people had worked at Mox and then moved on to other board game industry jobs. Uh, people worked and they did marketing um, or they were connected. So Gen Con actually being based here in Seattle, there was uh, people with partners working for Mox and Gen Con. So I heard that they were doing this streaming show. I'd done a lot of panels in the past and yeah. just like always really loved speaking. So I uh, did a screen test for that. And yeah, the rest was history. been doing a weekly news show for about a year now. That's awesome. Quickly talking about uh, your involvement in helping others by workshopping their games and like you said, the playcrafting that you're involved in. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's important. So playcrafting was an initiative that I did a few years back when I was in New York City. Uh, it was called New York City Games Forum before it, its name changed over to playcrafting. And that was... Uh, one of the first things I did that really got me into any sort of games industry, uh, it was a community of not gamers, but of game designers, mostly yeah. video games, but some board games as well. Uh, every, everything from lawyers to musicians, artists, uh, in video games, there's just so many people that come together to make that a possibility. And there's a little budding indie video game design scene in New York City. Uh, so... Again, one of my passions, speaking is one, also community organization, just helping to bring people together and the performance aspect, you know, it all yeah. kind of ties together. So we would do uh, demo nights where we demo eight games and we'd have hundreds of people in this room. Uh, we get to hold our events at the Microsoft offices, which is oh, really cool. Because cool. in New York City, they're very open to helping indies and small communities. So I'd be there in front of hundreds of people, kind of running back and forth, like starting the demo and it's just, such a rush to and that, be helping people and kind of in front of them. You wrote a science fiction piece called, uh, I'm going to try without, without wrecking it, uh, Mechalarum? Uh, yeah, I would say Mechalarum, but that's, okay. that's, you did very well there. I'm impressed. I'm trying to suppress my French inflection to hit in the wrong syllable stress. <laughs> um, uh, I read, and I, I put this in my notes because the, as I put it in the brackets here, the book's tagline, um, I read the tagline and right away I thought I would totally play that game. And what I, what I, from my research I have is uh, under a dust storm spawned by nature and sustained by technology, a hidden citadel produces humanity's final hope. And I'm like, I'll play that RPG any day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, uh, so, uh, and then you're some nonfiction pieces, uh, six odd things, doomsday preppers stockpile. That makes sense. <laughs> For, this is the one I love because of my psychology background. Four Disney kids who would have been traumatized for life. Mm -hmm. Six awesome game-related careers you didn't know existed. Seven signs of old age that hit most people when they're young. 
And mm. six reasons New York City is the most overrated vacation destination. Those actually sound like set list pieces for a Seinfeld show. <laughs> yeah. Well, those were all uh, articles for Cracked, which is a little less well known now. I honestly haven't been back to the site in a while. I assume it still exists. Uh, but in its heyday, it was kind of like the humor site, you know, that everyone was going to. And what was really cool about writing for Cracked is they had this whole back-end forum system where people pitched, like thousands and thousands of writers would pitch ideas and pick up ideas from other writers and workshop things. So it was this really interesting, just collaborative writing workshopping uh experience and back then i didn't know i wanted i knew i wanted to do something and get stuff creative stuff out into the world but i, I kind of felt more would be writing so doing these articles is a way you know to get your name out there and get paid for for doing writing uh but it's it's a lot of work <laughs> that's the thing it's like writing a science fiction novel i've thought about the times how many hours i put it it's just hundreds of hours just like constantly like rereading like writing the whole draft rereading proofing for content proofing for grammar uh proofing for spelling just going over and over it um just to really hone and polish this thing so, so how did your uh, science fiction novel come about because i'm how long ago was that and oh gosh that was about six years, six or seven years that I did the Kickstarter for it. So I'd been writing for years and years. I'd done a few uh, prompts or challenges to write the first draft of a fiction novel. Uh, the first, my first challenge was, you know, 15 minutes a day, you can do anything in 15 minutes. So I was just like 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there. The second few, or the, the next few times that I wrote first drafts of novels were through NaNoWriMo, which is the National Novel Writing Month which is great yeah. exercise that they do in November. Again, that I haven't done in a few years, but I believe still exists. Cool. Um, and you write 50,000 words and it's really cool because the website has charts and things and you can do challenges, like just tweet out, I'm doing a writing sprint and see how many words you can write in 50 minutes or an hour or whatever. So it's a great <laughs> way just to get it out there. Yeah. Uh, and then I happened to work for a company in New York City that was um, what one of these social media tech startups that you know again doesn't exist anymore yeah. but they wanted to do things related to crowdfunding and kickstarter and so they're like me as kind of half intern half like part-time employee weird thing they're like how about as part of your job you run a kickstarter to learn how it works i'm like yeah that sounds great i'll do this science fiction novel so I did the Kickstarter for it and then followed through and had to write it and go through that whole process. Okay, so the fact that you wrote a book to test out Kickstarter is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, like they, I, all of this was kind of me figuring out how I wanted to get creative stuff into the world. And I think that is important for creators yeah. to, to think about that. Like you might That's say, great. I want to make a board game because I don't know how to make anything else and you should you know make a board game try and make a board game but do you enjoy that maybe you do maybe you find out it's like oh i actually want to do board game content i want to do a podcast or a video and just keep trying creative things the first thing you, you might try being a musician you might not like that sometimes you have to just try a few things before you land on the thing that really makes you happy awesome and again i'm seeing this thread of experience that accumulates 
to the present and let's march ourselves to the present as a uh, as a board game designer so in 2016 you came out with heart catchers mm-hmm. um and in 2018 you came out with and then we died mm-hmm. and 2020 which is i think is going to have a big asterisk from a uh history point of view um yeah. abandon all artichokes so um, before we get to artichokes, do you want to give us a little kind of um, uh, um, uh, trailer of uh, your first two games? Yeah, so Heartcatchers was that one that I mentioned that Gil tested way back in the day. Okay. It was a game, the first board game that I ever designed. Uh, game design kind of as a theme and creativity going back, but the first full playable board physical game. Uh, I made it as a Valentine's Day present for my then boyfriend, now husband, because uh, when we met, he was working on a game and kind of helped get me into that universe, um, really helped me get started here. Um, yeah, and so I made that, tested it. Again, I'm starting to build a lot of connections in this industry and ended up finding um, through these playtesting meetings, someone who had self-published their own game or looking to publish other games, specifically very short, small two-player games. And (laughs) we had this uh, like publisher meet cute where I asked him to coffee to uh, get advice about my game. And about halfway through, he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, just like in this, this is, this is good stuff. You're doing good. So have you, have you ever like thought about getting a publisher <laughs> and I was like shocked he's like it's okay if you don't want to I'm like no I just I wasn't I didn't know this is where this was going and I was mm-hmm. shocked and excited uh and pleased so uh that ended up coming to fruition we did a kickstarter for that um while that was all going on I started the design of and then we died it's an idea that came to me in, in a dream of doing some creepy storytelling thing worked on that for a few years released it and as time progressed really starting to focus more and more on game design um, doing a lot of prototypes kind of turning it into more of a professional thing cool okay um abandon all artichokes i um it's probably the cutest cover i've seen in a long time um the uh, do you want to quickly mention the artist because uh, i i don't think the artists nowadays get as much as much cred because a lot of for me at least my impulse it's like oh that's you know ooh shiny right i mean i, I my the, the art pulls me in a lot of the time so oh yeah yeah uh, i cannot give enough credit to bonnie pang for doing this just the absolutely adorable vegetable <laughs> art for the cover uh for the tin cover and then also for the cards on the game i didn't have anything to do with that that was the artist that was chosen by game right but okay. i just like almost a spirit connection for how well uh, Bonnie was able to capture what I had in mind. Uh, when I did the prototype art, I, it was food with faces. So it's a little bit weird. I mean, I've always loved game right games. So that mm-hmm. might've been in the back of my mind, but the very, very first prototype, I found a clip art of a strawberry and I found a clip art of some googly eyes and I put it on there. I'm like, this is my deck builder now. It has fruit with faces. Cause I like just weird, silly stuff like that. Um, yeah, and so Bonnie was able to take it. What I really love about what the art has done is it's cute, but not cutesy. No. I think that it really captures, it's a 10 plus age game. 
so it is um, a lot of six-year-olds can play it a lot of eight-year-olds can play it but on the box it's 10 plus yeah. so you don't want it to look like you know a four-year-old six-year-old game so I think just that perfect intersection of adorability and maturity well and and the art like you said isn't isn't childish because yeah. each each um image has a little bit of emotional depth in the expression oh yeah right <laughs> yeah. And, and and not so much so that it's dramatic but enough that you that you know oh there you know that's inquisitive or that's you know as the as the onion would say uh, that's very satirical mm. um the uh and i can't the first thing they captured of course was the art and uh the um I, I really hope a lot of people catch the 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 foodie joke on the bottom, the <laughs> uh, the a heartless card game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think I mean it ties into the food because of the artichoke hearts, but also the fact that it's a um, a deck building destruction mechanism. If you want to talk to us about that, like let's get into this game and you tell us what this game is about. Yeah, absolutely. So the term that we kind of coined amongst ourselves was deck wrecker. Deck wreckers, so, that's what it was, yes. I yeah. like that, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. So the um, four people who've played deck builders usually start with some number of cards. They're a little useful, but not very useful. The goal is to somehow get more cards into your deck until some determined end point of the game. A lot of them will have this function where as you play, you know, now you've got this stuff that isn't useful anymore and it will, deck builders will often have ways to trash or remove things permanently from your deck. Mm -hmm. uh, and for me, playing deck builders this is always one of the most fun things, you know, it's just like, yeah, you're gone forever, banish <laughs> ye. Uh, so that's the, that's the core of the game. You start with all artichokes. They actually do, they're not even less useful, they're useless outside of a couple of specific circumstances. But your goal is to draw a hand of no artichokes. So it's this idea that as you know, you're putting new cards in, you're getting artichokes out, you're shuffling your deck, drawing a new hand at the end of each turn. If any of those just happens to have no artichokes, you immediately win the game. Um, so even though the title is Abandon All Artichokes, it's a little bit of a misnomer. You don't have to get rid of every single artichoke in your deck, which is nice. There's a little bit of uncertainty there. You know, not, not very many deck builders is the end condition uncertain. Usually it's, you know, certain piles are exhausted or a certain condition is reached. So for mm -hmm. this one, almost every turn could be the last turn. So there's definitely an interesting tension there. Uh, but I really like that made, that's... It, it has a nice, like, this is the end, right? Like, it's a very yeah. clear end game, which it's kind of nice that way. It's not, okay, we're done now. Let's count up all our points. <laughs> yeah. It's, you've done this. You have succeeded in this particular goal. You're the winner. I really like that idea. You had said that your, that your um, second game came to you in a dream. Mm -hmm. How did the, how did I mean, as far as what I've seen in your history, you're very creative all the time, but there's got to be that impetus, that little spark, that little itch where all of a sudden you go, huh, what if I tried this? So yeah. describe that moment, if you wish. Uh, so one of the things I'm very proud about Abandon All Artichokes for is the fact that it's name first game design. So in the board game design community, we're always talking about, oh, do you design theme first, mechanics first, feel first, but this one was name first. I 
had this uh, exercise I was doing for a while called Theme Design Daily, where I'd use, give my, issue myself these little challenges to kind of help spark my creativity. And one of them was, I was on the bus, I'm like, I'm just gonna write down a bunch of alliterative game names. Uh, so it's like bounce banjos or uh, emu escape, you know, not even really game names, just funny combinations yeah. of alliterative words is really what it was. So I posted this on Twitter and coming back to the product and marketing thing and somebody on there said that they would buy Abandon All Artichokes. So I just posted the whole list and they read the list and out of that Abandon All Artichokes stood out. Uh, and that was... That, that caught my attention. You know, I'm like, I should work on this at some point. Okay. Like the fact that just the name is so uh, capturing for at least one person in the world. <laughs> and but at this actually... point, did, did the mechanism at all come in? Or oh, no, it... no. Okay. Literally okay. just a name. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> that it would be deck builders, like cards or anything. Just those three words, abandon all artichokes. Uh, it wasn't until months later that I was doing a design design a game a day challenge for a week so seven days design seven games that the name came back to me i had written a note of it or something and i think it was just staring at that name saying abandon artichokes and then i was thinking about just like get what in what thing do you get rid of things and i think mm. deck building just kind of connected so i'm like i guess i'll just make it be a deck builder uh, yeah, just those two things together became the starting foundation of the game. Once you had this in your head, hmm. how, how long till you had yourself a copy in your hand that you went, okay, I'm ready to share this with someone to provide me some feedback? <laughs> well, uh, two hours. Wow. So, okay. Well, this, this was, I was, I gave myself the challenge of, designing a game and they had to be very simple games too because yeah. not like designing it and then testing it so uh my my husband the treasure that he is is willing to play test these super super rough early designs and of the seven that i made this week made that week uh six of them were completely broken and unplayable but abandoned all artichokes uh i think i had like four four or five different cards. I had like a trash card, a draw a card, um, this like attack mechanism and the artichokes. So it was just, there was barely anything there. Yeah. Um, except this idea is like, oh, I'll get these things and I can play this and get stuff um, out of my deck. And you could get to a point where you eventually won the game. And just based on that, uh, there was enough there that I could iterate on it a few times to get to the point where I could show it to people other than my husband's. Okay. Um, is there, and then for, so kind of metas and abandoned all artichokes, you know, there's a meta where you get rid of almost all your cards. You might only have two cards left at the end of the game. There's a meta where you get lots of cards. So it's a bulking strategy. Mm -hmm. And so being able to come with lots of ideas for different abilities, having this, like you said, the sticky notes in your brain, you're like, Oh, well, if one card discarding, Right, you know, it's yeah. like such a classic, classic, the graveyard decks, right? Yeah. So, so knowing that that's a thing and the, the different zones you play around, it's like, there's so many zones, you know, the other people's hands, other people's decks, the marketplace, slash garden, your deck, your, your hand, your discard pile. Well, when I'm looking at, when I look at game rights games, and I, your game, from what I've read and read about them on and watched about it, it seems to fit in really nicely. Because it's almost like a, I can really see it being the introductory mm. deck building game, mm -hmm. right? 
kind of in the same way Sushi Go is like what you'd play before you play Seven Wonders, right? So I think I think it would be cool. Like I'm thinking, could I just could I buy this for my classroom, right? Could my students who really don't have a lot of gaming experience could they like? Do you think this is a game that we could I just throw to a bunch of grade eight students and say, "How about it?" Yeah, I think so. There's, <laughs> I, I made some good choices, but I also got kind of lucky with stuff like the my first deck builder thing. The fact mm-hmm. that Game Right does, you're absolutely right, like to make those games that are an intro into these mechanics, which is really great because they can straddle that kind of mass market plus slash hobby boundary because a lot of hobbyist people are looking for games that they can enjoy and get new people into the, the hobby of playing board games. Uh, I would say for grade eight students, very much so. I think that um, uh, a lot of students of that age will feel pretty comfortable with it. Uh, in some ways, it can be a little easier for younger kids because they'll just do this stuff. You're like, okay, now do this. Like, okay, sure. As kids get a little <laughs> older, uh, I'm sure you'll be able to confirm this. Yeah, like you had true. said earlier, it's like, <laughs> they start to question like, oh, but why am I doing this, right? Like you have to explain to them. That they overprocess like, well, <laughs> here. Yeah. Um, so I've had uh, just a very few people come say, you know, it was a little confusing. Uh, luckily, there's been a lot of amazing videos that mm-hmm. really take it step by step. Um, and I've been very grateful for people who've made amazing content about the game. Everything from game rights animated videos that are really great how-to to people who play through a whole game so you get a sense of the the scope of the game so i think it's something that most people can get into but there is some hobbyist stuff there you know i've played with people who say like okay discard your hand and they take their cards and put them face down on top of their deck and i have to sit there for a moment and just realize that those are all keywords that they don't like discard deck discard pile you know all of those are things that are learned right Right. so it's a language right if you don't know Mm -hmm. the language uh you kind of have to learn a little bit of the language before you can access some of these things well as a dominion fan one thing that caught my interest when i was looking at some some run-through videos there was the fact that you start with a hand of completely useless cards yeah and i thought that's fascinating. That's, yeah. yeah, that's really, then what do you do? You got to work with that. It's cool. Well, yeah, just like uh, breaking a lot of the traditional rules. You start with stuff that's absolutely useless, but it still works as yeah. a game. Um, no currency is another big thing. You get stuff from the market slash garden every turn and you put it straight into your hand. So uh, a lot of most deck builders you'll put it into your discard pile. So it takes a while to cycle through and you might not even ever see that thing. So there was just a ton of the balancing work that went into it was to make every single card, because uh, it's a randomized market, mm-hmm. it's not a um, determined pile market yeah. like Dominion. Right. Yeah. Uh, so making pretty much any point of the gar- game, pretty much any distribution of cards in the garden, you'll find something that's useful or interesting to you to take. Um, take it straight into your hand, you can play it right away, and just kind of for this light introductory deck builder, deck wrecker, getting rid of all those kind of little annoyances uh, that other deck builders have. And not even annoyances, sometimes it adds to the game, mm-hmm. it just slows the game down, right? 
So this thing, it's like you can have that core deck building experience faster, easier, and there's a lot of um, just, I, I followed a lot of what people did naturally in playtesting. So when people are playtesting who aren't gamers, they take the game, the card into their hand from the market and just have it in their hand. Like, oh, that's good. Okay. So I let them do that. Right. Okay. <laughs> you know, and just leaning a little bit more into the, the natural behavior of people to make something um, with that, but then still have the balancing behind that to back it up, you know, to right. make interesting choices. So how long did it take you till you were, like how long did it take you to to do your balancing and everything before you actually felt comfortable with, okay, this is the game? Oh, it was about a year and a half. It always feels so much longer. Wow. But <laughs> yeah, I guess a little closer to two years. Like it was interesting. I actually pitched it very early in development. I pitched it like, a month or so after I did that original two hour prototype and I didn't make that many changes to it. Oh, wow. um, but I was lucky in that game, right. Was really looking for sort of a back and forth relationship with a designer, at least for this sort of a project. Um, and so I wasn't on my own developing this so from very early on in the process. I, I was pitching it to them over and over again. So I would make some changes. I would send them a copy. They would play test it on their end. You know, there's even uh, long before we signed the contract, we we're just going back and forth and making these changes. So it's just um, kind of exchanging hours, hours of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and they would say like, they would have product directions. Uh, they wanted to have interaction. So the fact that you were interacting with your other players is very important to them. Uh, they wanted to keep it fairly simple. So there's some stuff that they push back on, but yeah, yeah, there was, there, there was a lot of the development and many times during the process, <laughs> I, I told my fellow designers, I'm like, I think this is it, you know, like three months into the process. I'm like, I think we got this. I think <laughs> this is the perfect pool of cards. And every time I said that, obviously it completely broke. Um, so there was a lot of just pushing it in a completely different direction. At one point there was no hands. You had all the cards in front of you. It was anywhere from six card types to 30 card types in the deck. There was just so much exploration and pushing against the boundaries of the space to get it to where it finally ended up. <laughs> um, uh, is there anything that you uh, want to let um, our listeners know on how they can get a hold of you or what they, how, you know, your social media, you have a website, um, pitch yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Emma Larkins pretty much everywhere. Twitter is where I'm most active. I also have a website with a lot of links to different things. Uh, I run a, of the many, many things that I'm currently doing, I run <laughs> a weekly digital playtest session. So if you are a board game designer looking to connect, we have people from all over the world. It's international. It used to be just Seattle. Now we have everyone. Cool. Uh, if you go to the Ludology Guild on Board Game Geek, yep. you can find the links for both my group and Gilhova's group. Gil runs Tuesdays and Saturdays. I run on Wednesdays. So there's a lot of options now. Uh, and, and I just want to say like, you know, things are tough right now. And I think designing and just finding people that you can kind of share and work creatively with has been really powerful. So it's, it's important for me that people 
explore their creativity and make things, create things. So I'm always excited to see, you know, what, what designers are up to. Yay. Well, that's fantastic. Um, uh, Ian, is there anything you, you want to, uh, you want to touch base on before we do the exit? Oh, just, yeah, this is great talking to you. It's, it's nice to see inside the mind of a designer and what they're, what they go through. That's pretty cool. And uh, I think we're all looking forward to Emu Escape in a couple of years, too. Yes, yes. <laughs> Gonna make a note on that one. <laughs> all right. Um, well, thank you so much, Emma. Uh, we hope to uh, talk to you in the future. And um, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Yay. This episode is proudly supported by Mr. Dice Guy online board game retailer located right here in Saskatoon. Mr. Dice Guy is always stocking the hot new titles, as well as restocking all-time favorites. They even have a ding and dent section for previously played titles. They offer free shipping across Canada on all orders over $200, or free local pickup if you're in the Saskatoon area. Check them out at MrDiceGuy.com. Saskatoon's Mr. Nice Guy is Mr. Dice Guy. And we are back, Cardboard Conjecture. This is the reviews section. Review. Um, the reviews. Okay, so the other game that Jen and I have been playing through, other than the tiny epics, is that we've been playing a lot of Cosmic Encounter Duel, published by Fantasy Flight Games. It is designed by Frank Brooks with Peter Olotuk. Oloka and Greg Oloka and <laughs> Bill Everly. Oh, I'm, I, I, I severely apologize for the butchering of your names. Um, so it's designed by Frank Brooks with these other folks. And it's actually very important to note that, that, that Peter and Bill were actually part of the original design team that brought us the original Cosmic Encounter. Ooh, so that, that'd be awesome. So that, that that, that's awesome because that we can see that that DNA in here and that Greg Oloka is actually Peter's son that, that helped design this game too. And if you couldn't tell from the, the title of Cosmic Encounter Duel, this is strictly a two player game only. So two players only are playing this and it's going to be playing here in roughly about 30 to 45 minutes. The box is 30 minutes. Um, our games have been taking mm, a little bit longer. So is this like the new common terminology for two-player versions of games as we call them dual now? Is that just, yep. slap, that slap, the word, slap the word dual in there or some sort of play on words of dual and now you got a sweet two-player experience of a the bigger brother-sister board game. Because if they say number two, then we're thinking of something different. <laughs> uh, the funny joke, <laughs> the solid number two. Yeah. Okay. Good jokes aren't the funniest, but they're solid number two. So let's give let's give the let's give us the overview of what's happening here. So the Cosmic Citizenship Council has announced that it will only allow two new alien species to join its ranks, but they forgot to make two copies of the filing forms, which means that only one species can join. Now this is very Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy right now. <laughs> I think of the same thing. <laughs> The two candidates must battle for control of the planets to determine who deserves the right to become a certified civilization. Uh, cosmic Encounter Duel. So, 
uh, a game of Cosmic Counter Duel will have players selecting the role of one of 27 alien races, each with their own abilities to twist the game into their favor. There are three ways that you can win Cosmic Encounter Duel. The standard way to win, and the main way that they advertise in the rule book, is that once you have your ships have presence on five planets. It's kind of the same as the, 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 the older sibling here. As long as you have control or presence on five planets, you win the game. Or your alien race might have an alternative way of winning the game. Jen's come across a couple of them, and she's managed to pull off both of those ways, and I'm going to describe those later. <laughs> and then the third way to win this game is if your opponent has no ships left in their supply and they have to send a ship to a planet, well, since they have no ships to send, you win. So the pace of Cosmic Encounter Duel is set by the three decks of cards, which they will commonly be referred to as destiny cards. And there's three different types of destiny cards. There's Discovery, there are events, and then there's Refresh. The Discovery cards are where you will, spoiler alert, discover new planets, and then, that, and then you'll have a duel over the, those planets, which is the main action and the meat and potatoes of this game. Event cards, these do crazy random things to shake up the game and attempt to make the game more interactive, but more so make things really, really crazy and may even throw the whole, your whole plan, if you had a plan, it might just throw your whole plan way out the window. I'm going to get to some examples of what event cards have done to me in some of our games. And then uh, refresh cards will give us opportunities to gain some resources going into the next duel, like get reinforcement cards or take back some ships that have been sent to the warp or drawing more cards into our hand and yada, yada, yada. So the game will have players start by drawing discovery card and having a duel right out of the gates. So the very first thing you're gonna do right in this game is you're not gonna prepare anything, you're gonna have a duel. And there are multiple steps in order to complete a duel. 11 steps to be exact. And I know that sounds really, really crazy, <laughs> but it's set up this way because it helps with the interaction of certain alien abilities. Like certain alien abilities will trigger at a certain step in the, in the duel. So that's yeah, kind yeah. Of why, okay. why they have it set up that way. The recipe. But the recipe, it's, it's very... Very, very intuitive, very, very straightforward, especially even if you've played kind of like Cosmic Encounter before. Cool. Um, and there's a very handy cheat sheet on the back cover of the rule book. So, and I think I'll mention that in the, in the rule book section, but it lays it out very, very, very easy. In essence, what you do to, in a duel is you send ships to a planet by secretly selecting a number from one to four. You have a little dial, you select the number from one to four, and then you simultaneously reveal how many ships you are sending to this planet. Next, you'll get to enlist the help of any friendly alien races, and I'll explain what the, what, how that works. You'll get to deploy tactics to remove opponent ships or protecting your own. At this point, potentially one player may have more ships than the other after this, um, say this little tactics phase of destroying and blocking ships. And if you have more ships on the planet, you're gonna get a bonus, and that's gonna get added to your kind of like attack strength at the end of the duel. Next, what you're gonna be doing is you're gonna be selecting and revealing a plan card from your hand. And these plan cards um, range in value of negative two to positive 42. Of course, it has to be 42. It's the answer of everything. Actually even says on the card, 
42 is the answer. Right on. Nice. Um, after you've revealed your plans, you can play reinforcement cards. So either you can either increase your um, attack strength or you can even decrease your opponent's attack strength. And after all of this, it sounds like a whole lot, you're going to determine the winner, whoever has the most value, this most attack strength by that ship bonus I talked about, all the played cards, and then your alien race might have some sort of ability that might add or subtract from uh, the totals. Here, you're either going to have a you're going to have a winner and a loser of the battle, and depending on what discovery card has come out, I, it'll say the winner gets a benefit or the loser gets a benefit. But in the essence, whoever wins the battle is now has control of that planet. The other player has to retreat their ships back to their supply, and now you have one you've gotten one more planet to victory. And then after all this is said and done. At the very, very bottom of that card is going to tell you which, what the next card is going to be played. So out of those three decks, you either now play an event card, you're going to play a refresh card, or you might just have another dual card, um, essentially, right away. And things are going to go like this, round and around and around until one of those end game triggers happens. So now I'm going to take a moment and talk about these uh, friendships and what they refer to as, they're called the envoys. At the beginning of the game, there's three alien races that are dealt face down to the table. And players can become friendly with these um, alien races over the course of the game. Being friendly with an alien race kind of gives you another ability when it comes to taking when having duels. Um, as a reward during the course of play, this will allow you to gain friendship or even lose friendship. So gaining friendship means you're pulling alien races towards you. Losing friendship is pushing those alien races away towards your opponent, actually. Um, at the start, they all start neutral. And these races hold just more abilities that can affect duels in big, big ways. In essence, in essence, that is Cosmic Encounter Duel. You're going to kind of play these cards, have duels, have events over and over again until one of the three games. Um, okay. Cool. cool. All right. So... Let's get into opinions. Outside in. This game is housed in a small box. All right. And it's a little bit larger than, say, your the living card games that Fantasy Flight's known for. It's just a little bit larger than those boxes. Say, like the Orkham Horror or the Lord of the Rings card games. It's just a little bit larger than those okay. boxes. It's kind of like you're now your new standard two-player size box. <laughs> and, of course, we talked about inserts, and it has the most lame insert possible. <laughs> It's just one of those ones with the goofy art and the little well that's carved out in the middle and it has like the two flaps. Yeah, here's the, the trough. Sides. Yeah. yeah, so useless, but there's not... This kind of also suffers from the Splendor Syndrome as there's too much, there's too much box for the amount of components that you get. Yeah. <laughs> um, the art. The art is very vibrant and very aesthetically pleasing. It's very 80s retro. It's kind of like how I kind of... How I kind of put it. It looked like a Duran Duran album cover. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's a little it's a little quite a bit more cartoony than the original Cosmic Encounter, um, and it really portrays the alien races like the art on the alien races as well. Like I've got an example here in the show notes says the politician card is an alien that has two faces, the, nah, the good cool. face and the the good face and the evil face, and he's the politician. How many aliens are there? Uh, Twenty seven. 
different cool, ones. Okay. And from what I can tell, these are 27 aliens that are not part of the original cosmic encounter. Ooh, so, so new things to explore then for, but I have not played with, I have not seen or played all of the cosmic encounters. So don't quote me on that. Okay. No, I'm now live on the air saying it. <laughs> <laughs> it's conjecture, man. It's conjecture. Exactly. Okay. Components are really, really nice. Um, the UFOs are clear plastic. Um, cool. They, they resemble the recent printing of Cosmic Encounter. They had the 42nd, I think, edition, anniversary edition come out where they replaced the opaque plastic ships now with these clear plastics. And that's what they come with. The cardstock is your standard Fantasy Flight cardstock. It's very, very well done with that linen finish. Nice thick cardboard, planet tiles, tactic stands. Oh, yeah, that's what they, these things, these things called tactic stands. They're double-sided and they're meant to kind of like flip over, like kind of like an hourglass. Mm -hmm. And one complaint that I've heard a lot of people complain about is that they can never get their tactic stands to actually stand up. We haven't had that issue. I must have put them together properly or the way that they have intended because our tactic stands stand up no problem. And we even play on a neoprene mat. It's not even a hard surface. Yeah. And so we haven't had, but apparently some people say complain that the stands actually don't stand up like how they're um, so you heard ryan everybody who was having problems with those stands ryan just told you it's because you didn't put it together properly and he did he's basically he saying it's that. an iq test right <laughs> well isn't that anytime you have to assemble some sort of component <laughs> with no instructions <laughs> okay uh there's another little there's like a little cardboard standee that resembles the cat floating in space like you literally put together this little stand and then like you set this little cardboard cat in the middle of it and they kind of just freely float you can actually flick it and it kind of like sways back and forth someone's quirky and, sense of humor and it's just to represent the whoever the what they call the straggler there's kind of like a leader and a straggler effect and that's all it's used for is just to denote who the straggler is i don't know kind of neat over the top kind of neat though rule book rule book is really good it has 19 pages which seems like a lot, but a lot of it is just kind of like, you know, explaining and examples how a duel takes place. It's kind of like what it kind of does. And really there's just like lots of graphics, which Ooh. kind of like is really, really neat. Uh, you don't see this too often, especially in a fantasy flight rule book, which is uh, the, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm an expert on those. Um, but lots of graphics. And so there's not really a lot of wasted space. Um, typically, uh, Fantasy Flight rule books come in a pair, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they're bigger box so games. Here's the three like, rule books that come with this Fantasy Flight game. And what's kind of neat is that they actually already kind of in, built in kind of like a FAQ in the back of this, in the back rule book, where it kind of explains a lot of the edge cases. Yeah. Probably from like playtesting stuff and yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. And then really what you're going to really want is just that very back cover, which does the quick reference on how a duel goes nice. and some icons and stuff like that. Right on. Okay. The gameplay, it's really fun. It's fun back and forth tactical play where the heart of the game is just that dueling over the planets. And I also put in here managing your supply of ships and your cards. You have to manage your supply of ships very carefully as you don't want to run out. Well, you said risk, if you tank out, you, the game's yeah, over. Yeah, risk losing the game. Um, because 
have I said that yet? No. Um, to some, the card play may be comparable to like a trick-taking game. As skilled players, you're going to be able to count the cards and keep track of what's been played and what's been discarded and stuff like that so that you can get that kind of like tactical advantage over your opponent if you're able to keep track of that kind of information. Um, but this gets muddled, though, with, with the introduction of the reinforcement cards. The When you draw blindly off this reinforcement deck, those cards can swing a duel in somebody's favor. It is impossible to create the, the table dynamic of Cosmic Encounter in a two-player experience. In a two-player game here, there's no negotiations taking place. There's no back and forth jarring and manipulating with your opponents. There's no alliance making. Um, Rather, we just have this mechanic of the friends with yeah. the certain alien races that, uh, that help you during the duels. This is an acceptable substitute in my books to the, to the negotiations. Like, you're not going to be able to capture that negotiation feeling. Well, as that, you're describing that, that's, the exact, that's exactly what I was thinking, going, hey, that's, that's the, the best solution. Yeah. yeah. Further, when a game effect tells you to gain friendship in an envoy, that essentially could be telling you you're gaining friendship in the alien race that your opponent has. So you're bringing, you're kind of sucking that, that friendship away from your opponent, which is kind of neat. I kind cool of like tug of war. Yeah. Randomness comes in the event and refresh cards and can swing the game huge ways. Example, there's an event card that allows you to, that doesn't allow you makes you, swap your hand of cards with your opponent's hand of cards. Oh. So now I have my opponent. Just just, ra just randomly, can't do anything about it. My cards are now yours, your cards are now mine. That could be good, that could be bad. Um, another one here says, look, you, you get to look through one of the decks of cards and you get to pick which card you want to play next. Like that, that's huge. Um, this randomness, I would say, will off-put most people because you have no control over the situation. But those and people should not be playing Cosmic Encounter then. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Go play CC a Euro. CC, Jen and I, we love this kind of thing. I'm going to give you an example of one of these situations. I lost a game just recently uh, because of an event card told everybody, told, told me and Jen, we each had to destroy two of our ships from our supply. Well, those were my last two ships in my supplies. So because uh... I didn't have any ships to send to the next duel, I lost the game. So eventually, just because of this one event. So you got I, Thanos. Yeah, I, I yeah, snap, my shits disappeared. I couldn't <laughs> win the game. But that's the kind of game you're getting yourself into. It's crazy. It's well, random. It's as long as you know that going in, yeah. Yeah. Like, like, we're here. We're not here for, like, a brain burner. We're not here for, like, strategic war gaming. We're here for, like... We're going to have some chips. We're going to have some drinks. We're just going to kind of laugh at the kooky craziness that's going on here. Cool. Uh, refresh cards. Like I said, um, you're, <laughs> sometimes you're really hoping for um, that the planets you control will grant you a certain resource, but they just never come up. It always <laughs> seems. It's very rare that you'll actually be able to, once your ships have been destroyed and sent to the warp, it's very rare that you're actually going to get those ships back into your supply. I would say three of our three of our five games that we've played so far has been because one of us has ran out of ships, and then the other two games are because Jen's alien race races um, won her the game. Um, overall, there's really nothing unique about Cosmic Encounter Duel 
other than they try to take this widely popular game that plays at large player counts very well and condensed it into a two-player experience. Conclusion. It is really <laughs> tough to place this one. When the original Cosmic Encounter is such a classic game and is such a classic design, we really like the charm of Cosmic Encounter Duel. It's its own entity. Yeah. And it is a shame that it will always be in the shadow of the older sibling. But with that being said, this game captures the spirit of Cosmic Encounter, like the kooky craziness and the randomness and stuff like that. It just, just condenses it nicely into a two-player experience from our game. Lots of people are not going to like that randomness. So this is not a game for you then. If you, like, if, if you don't like complete chaos and that randomness ruining your game, don't play this game. <laughs> it's just a light because this is a light it's a light game it's not strategic yeah. in depth but rather it just leans on tactics of the, of the duels and having to deal with those event cards so overall for me this is a middle shelf game overall mm -hmm. and we still have mainly well generally we still have a lot of alien races to explore and play through but i'm going to kind of go i'm going to, I'm, I'm going to branch here i'm going to do for the first time and i'm going to make a subset shelf if I'm going to do a subset shelf of just two player only quote unquote dual games, this one's on the top shelf for us. Cool. We really enjoy this one as a, as a two player game, just because it's just it's so crazy. It's just random. Well, and, and I mean, you said before too, it's like, it's a half hour to 45 minutes. So it's not like you're you you you've invested two three hours into this game and then all of a sudden the randomness just you know blows the top off your game kind of thing. So oh yeah just, yeah just, just, yeah just know that things like that can happen. Like we haven't gone through that. Like don't go reading through the event cards. It is fun to try to and, and know what what's what's possibly coming up. And like I said, these decks are fairly sizable you are not going to see everything in a game like you're probably only going to be seeing 10 out of the 30 event cards maybe in a game all right cool so there's there's quite a bit of variability but once you've seen them all then you'll know what's going what, what, what's 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 coming up right on. okay anybody got any uh rebuttal or follow-up ian i just i don't know honestly it actually sounds like they did the two-player thing well. I just don't see Cosmic Encounter as a two-player game. I just well, have trouble with that. Th that was one of my first reactions. Like, hey, we announced Cosmic Encounter Duel. Here's the game that nobody asked for. <laughs> <laughs> or at least, at least in my opinion, I, like, I was never, never itching to play Cosmic Encounter with two players. That's what the whole point of cosmic counter was get a table of like five six people together and just let some rep just let the chaos ensue well i guess if they they're keeping the chaos that's good like then they're they are hitting the spirit of the game so that's good yeah and i really like that that aspect that they got rid of the negotiation because you can't negotiate and just have like this mechanism just like pushing and pulling having a tug of war with these other alien races whether or not they're going to be my friends or your friends, or are they just going to remain neutral for the, for the game? Hmm. Right so on. That's Cosmic Encounter Duel, Fantasy Flight Games. Middle shelf in the grand scheme of my shelf, but if I'm looking at just my two-player games, my dual games, it's on the top shelf of the, of the two-player. Well, there you go. Genre. There you go. 
uh, on uh, on that note, I would like to thank you very much for sticking around up to this point. Um, another I, achievement unlocked. Another achievement unlocked. Bling! I'm your host, Norm. I've been Ryan. I'm Ian. And we'll catch you later. We are Bridge City Board Gamers, and you can find us on Twitter at BC Board Gamers, on Facebook, Bridge City Board Gamer Community, and on YouTube at Bridge City Board Gamers. You can also find us on BGG Guild Number 3039.